Hello there, and welcome to episode 147 of 1% Better. So if you know Snooker, the game, hopefully most folks listening have heard of it. If not, check it out. The number 147 is very significant in a game of Snooker because it's the highest possible maximum break you can get outside of if you get a free ball off the break and that's just a whole other thing that's a bit ridiculous anyway 147 biggest break you can get and there's a gentleman called Ronnie O'Sullivan who's one of the best if not the best snooker player of all time that has accumulated a lot of 147s in his day and I was very keen to see if I could get Ronnie onto the show for this episode because it's the same number as the big break but unfortunately, I wasn't able to get in touch with him. My people, aka me, wasn't able to get in touch with his people or him. Uh, although we did trade tweets a couple of years ago about running, which I thought he would remember. But obviously that didn't happen. But I'm still open to interviewing him at a later point. If anyone knows Ronnie, uh, send him my way. Happy to chat to him. But we do have an exceptionally good guest in place or instead of Ronnie. And that is Ray Ortega, who I'll talk about in a minute. But just uh, in the week that's gone, I have to say thank you to Laura O'Connell, who is head of the Cork Entrepreneur Network. And she invited me to do a talk on podcasting, on the lessons I've learned, on the why and the how and the what of podcasting. And I did that on Tuesday of the week just gone in the Republic of Works in Cork. And that went down really well. Some lovely people. Thank you for giving me lots of questions and keeping me on my toes. And we had to get kind of physically kicked out of the building because we ran out of time and I didn't get to finish everything. But that's okay. Could have talked for longer. Do it again sometime. And again, thanks for those who came along on the night. And now you might be listening to the podcast for the first time. So thanks for that. Always after I do one of these talks, probably 10 or 12 of them done over the last couple of years now, there's always a few new subscribers to the show. And that translates very quickly onto the iTunes charts, uh, being at number 10 or 12 in the education category over the last day or two, which is cool. As I always say, that is really good when it's done in an authentic way. It means other folks might just stumble across the show and listen to it and it'll help grow the show. It's the ultimate snowball effect as it starts to roll down the hill, metaphorically speaking, or roll up the charts. Maybe new people will listen. So thank you for doing that. Continue to subscribe and listen. And just finally, before we talk about Ray, last week, I don't know if I mentioned on the intro last week, I get an email every day of chart positions on different charts and stuff like that. And it came back last week and we were number one in Zimbabwe for the episode with Barry Schwartz, which was kind of funny and interesting. And it did get me thinking about who is listening in Zimbabwe. It could be just one one person in Zimbabwe listening or it could be a few people if you're that person or people get in touch email me rob at robofthegreen.ie I'd love to hear from you what you thought of the episode and we'll take it from there maybe we could do a live show in Zimbabwe at some point in the near future who knows but uh, ultimately yeah subscribe to the show that helps with the rankings and I would really appreciate it. Okay, so this week's guest, Ray Ortega, aka the podcast helper. He's a podcast producer. He's big into audio, video content creation. 
He has his own website, rareortega.com, and a very much a creative soul. I found Ray online myself when I was figuring out how to do a podcast interview using a mixer and somebody on the other side of the world using Skype and getting the sound right and whatnot. And we talk about that on the show. But from there, I've been following him the last few years, learned a lot from him. The content he creates, very interesting. But his manner and style and the way he does it is really cool. So he's somebody I was looking forward to talk to for a while and understand what makes him the creative soul that he is and how he persists with that. We talk about being a recovering perfectionist and when good enough is good enough, uh, something that comes up a lot on the show, I guess. We talk about the history of podcasting deep diving into his career as a podcaster initially as a passion and now it's a full-time job for him as well as continuing to be a passion very much a dream job lots of interesting stuff lots of great tips on how to podcast things i've learned from ray in the last week or two since i did the episode recording that i've already applied so whether you're interested in podcasting or not there's some really good stuff in here around creativity dealing with the challenge of being productive versus just deep diving into the creative works that Ray certainly can do. As we would say in these parts, Ray comes across as a very sound guy, a very nice guy. Uh, That's what we would say. Not only is he a sound guy, but he's also a sound guy, if you know what I mean, because he does a lot of stuff with audio. So, okay, I'll kind of leave that one there. And I will hand it over to the conversation with myself and Ray Ortega. Links in the show notes, website, all that good stuff to follow Ray, podcast helper on socials. And I hope you enjoy this one. Good luck and thanks. Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to another 1% Better episode and I am recording this one at 5.40am on a, on a Wednesday morning um, and I normally get up that early, don't normally talk that early but for this one, it's a special occasion. I'm, I'm talking to a, a gentleman that I've been following online for a number of years. Uh, his name is Ray Ortega, and it's really great to introduce you to uh, to my listeners. Ray, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Rob, thanks so much for having me, man. Ray Ortega is the podcast helper, right? Is is what your handle is on on Twitter and on your your YouTube channel? But I think there's a whole lot more to you than just a podcast helper, right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, you were just asking me about. YouTube in my videos, and I basically am audio and video production. Uh, anything that has to do with that it doesn't have to be a podcast. That's one medium. I like generally. I a lot of profiles. I'll say I'm an audio video producer who specializes in podcast. Uh, podcast is really where everything kind of took off for me. So that's kind of how I how I deliver that that message. But yeah, it's definitely more than that. I would say, but I love both. I think I actually started with video. Uh, and a video podcast as well. So it was video first before audio only. Video podcasts are, are those, that's kind of sometimes when I talk to people about podcasting and they ask me, do you do video? Don't know how to answer that sometimes. Is a, is a video, can a video be a podcast? Yeah, for sure. Video podcasts are, in fact, they were, I would say, more popular, I think, 
than audio podcasts in the beginning. So yeah, if you can, you can put a video, an MP4 into an RSS feed. So a podcast can actually be, I used to joke that I am the number one PDF podcaster in the world. And that's because you could have a podcast uh, and just deliver uh, in a podcast feed PDF files. Most people don't know you can put PDF files in there. And that's a joke, obviously. But yeah, video podcasts, audio podcasts, there's still plenty of video podcasts. Now, YouTube came along and pretty much took over the video space. And then audio for a lot of reasons became uh, the preferred for, well, I would say the more popular format uh, when you talk about podcast consumption. But I've done several shows uh, of my own and work that did fairly well. And in fact, they still think there's a lot of value in if you're a video producer in putting it in a podcast feed because you're missing out on a lot of views if you don't. No, that's that's so true. When when I, I think I found you online it was around the time I bought my first mixer and uh, it was a Behringer. And just for listeners, we probably will get into a bit of a techie podcasty chat here, but try to not go too deep on it. But um, the idea of a mixed minus was something that I had no idea what I was trying to do. And I think that's where I found one of your first videos that really helped me kind of set that up and, and be able to do interviews like this with um, somebody on the other side of the, the world. Uh, so so thanks for that. When When you're putting your content together, I suppose, where where do you kind of come up with the ideas for, for what's needed? Is that something you just put questions out and then and put it together from there? Or is it just stuff that you run into challenges yourself and figure others will get value from this? Yeah, probably a lot of the latter. It's that I have a question and I answer it and then I share it, right? And so um, that's the way uh, I got into podcasting. I wanted to know how is this done? How are people creating audio and video content, and then ending up on iTunes. At the time, when I got started, it was still called iTunes. And of course, it still exists, but it's now Apple Podcast, if we're talking about podcast-specific. And then after a while, it became something I was sort of an expert in, because I was early on, and there wasn't a ton of information about it. Um, But I also feel like that if I don't share what I learn, it's kind of wasted. It it shouldn't just be for me. Um, And I feel like I have a way of being able to translate things, probably because it takes me quite a while to learn something. I feel like I'm fairly dense when it comes to something uh, that I need to know. And so I feel like I can explain sort of harder technical stuff um, to people who are not necessarily technical people. And like you said yourself, the mix minus video, you know, that's an interesting one because that process of setting up a mix minus, by the way, we don't have to worry about that anymore because we're both using the Rodecaster Pro, which does automatic mix minus. So there's a couple of those for you. If you're getting into this and you think, oh, I don't want to learn that, it's now done for you. So much easier than when you and I started. But um, that video, there were a ton of videos about mix minus on YouTube. And what I noticed is there was nothing out there that was good, nothing that was succinct, nothing that sort of made this complex terminology simple. And so and I kind of pride myself on high production value. And so I tried to make something really nice because what I saw out there was someone grabbing their cell phone or webcam and it was moving all over the place as they shuffle around the mixer and try to show you stuff. And for me, it just wasn't conducive to learning. Sure, they got the point across. And, um, you know, just I'm putting it, I'm saying this because if you're thinking of content and you see a lot of the content that you want to make is already out there, but you still see a need in that content, I saw a very much a lack of quality. I made it anyways, and I just made it to make it. And that video, it's so funny that you say 
you sort of found me that way because I have been recognized at podcast conference and stuff so many times for that video, more than my podcast. So very ironically, people oftentimes know me because of YouTube, even in the podcast space, because of a lot of times one video I made that was podcast related. So, you know, put it out there. It's funny, just now that you mention that your version of Mix Minus kind of stood out. I, I do remember looking at other ones and, and yeah, like the, the quality was pretty bad. And I think I saw one where there was like two desktop or tower computers involved and there was cables going to both of them. And I was like, right. I just kind of said, maybe I'll just make a phone call to somebody and, and record the phone call and, and just do it differently. But thankfully, yeah, looking at yours. And I think you've done kind of updated versions of it with maybe different mixers and stuff like that. So, so yeah, very, very interesting. Your your pinned tweet on, on Twitter, I don't know if you, you, you know what that one, it still is, but it, it was interesting when I was looking through some ideas for questions. You talked about how to make a good podcast and that it requires X amount of skill, talent, and dedication. So maybe talk to me about what your experience, your learnings are around what makes a good podcast, because I think the world of podcasting has absolutely exploded. Even since I started three years ago, there's so much more out there. It's a very competitive space to try and get people to listen. Yeah, I really, it's shared passion, right? Like what makes a good podcast is something that you are talking about uh, or you're showing, whatever it is, video, audio, that you are really into. And so, you know, I mean, because you just need to Google whatever your interest is, there's a lot of people out there with the same interest. And so if you're doing a show about something specific, and I usually focus on niche topics just because the average person who's going to start a podcast, if you're going to sort of surface to the top, if you're going to be found, um, not not necessarily required, and I'm not saying you have to be niche, meaning drill down into your topic, be as specific as you can, at least in the beginning, um, There's gonna you're going to find an audience. And so if it's something that you absolutely love, you know, people will see a space get hot like Bitcoin or something, and they might start a podcast and they think, oh, I can be the number one Bitcoin podcaster because it's really popular. And you might have some interest in Bitcoin, but if it's not something that you would normally sort of read about every day, if you're not following people on Twitter because you just want to keep up with this stuff, if it's not your hobby, like in your spare time, then it's not also something I would start a podcast about because it's ultimately not going to be good because it's going to come through you that it's not good. Most likely you're just going to stop podcasting. So as long as it comes from inside some true place of of interest and passion, that makes a good podcast. Now, obviously, there are two factors here that when we say good podcast, we could talk about audio quality or video quality. But I am just talking about the single most important ingredient, and that's having something, a topic that you are passionately interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from the statistics I think I pulled out a couple of years ago when I was doing a talk around podcasting, the amount of people or the percentage of podcasts that don't get past episode seven and then that don't get past episode 22 because generally people maybe dive in thinking they'll start the podcast, they have a few ideas, but they run out of runway very quickly because they haven't, as you said, 
connected with a passion and are doing it for the potential exposure or, or fame that might might come with it uh, if you know if because they see others getting millions of downloads I think it'll automatically happen to them so I think that's an important message uh, that I certainly try to get across and I think you've echoed it there when was the first time you heard the word podcast uh the first first time was probably I probably read it before I heard it because somewhere around 2005 uh, there was a thing I don't know how international it was but I think it was everywhere uh Napster right mm-hmm. music sharing yep. service yeah and of course, I I uh, I may have looked at the service once or twice, maybe I tried it. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh-huh. um, you know, they started Napster started suing. Well, not Napster, um, the music companies started suing grandmas and kids and anyone they could sue to make a point. Right? They didn't want this thing to exist. So at that time, I said, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to get off this platform and I'm going to go. I'm going to go look at what else is available. And so I did open up iTunes, uh, which I wasn't paying attention to. And somewhere, I think I saw like in the corner, I think I saw this word podcast and I clicked on it and I listened to some really bad show of two guys and and probably their apartment uh, with horrible audio quality. And I could not believe my ears because here I am on Apple's platform and I'm hearing what sounds like it's supposed to be some type of radio show conversation on Apple. So I, I was like, what is this thing? And then, of course, I went down the rabbit hole. I started looking for other stuff, found actual good content. And I was hooked because they were talking about things that I would never get into. But all of a sudden, someone else sharing their sort of trip, maybe like a I used to listen to this ultralight backpacking podcast. I never planned to go ultralight backpacking. I never did. But I was fascinated because these people were so into it and they took you out on the trail and I loved it. And so that was probably the first time I came across the term podcast. Mm, interesting. That's back in 2005. And it, 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 the, the word podcast, I suppose, is, is a Apple derived term. Is it? There's a lot of conjecture out there, I suppose, around that, but it, it seems to tie back to an iPod. Yeah. It's a mashup of, of iPod and broadcast is, is what you generally will read. And as you got involved in the world of podcasting, as the industry started to to grow, what have you seen as the kind of big breakthrough moments or, or kind of game-changing moments over the last number of years in, in the industry? We have these moments, I would say, every few years, ever since the beginning. And in fact, that beginning, podcast being in Apple iTunes was the first one, right? Podcast existed before you could get them on iTunes. Uh, they existed, and then Apple decided they were going to put them in their directory, and that was a huge moment, right? That's an inflection point for podcast, sort of validates podcast at that time back in 2005. Uh, it becomes the word of the year in 2005 here in the U.S. Um, I, be- I don't know if that's Time Magazine, but it, it, so really, we've had moments like even those two things every few years, right? So you hear these things like the podcast serial came out. Mm. Um, there was a podcast app came out, right? Cars started, uh, well, even when podcasts became, you didn't have to download them on your desktop anymore. You could get them uh, on your mobile device, right? So every few years we see these sort of waypoints, these huge markers in podcasting that sort of give us this boost of attention, I would say. I wouldn't say nothing gives it this huge 
push, right? There's never these moments that people always talk about, like we're always waiting for that one more thing that's going to break it all open and everybody will come to podcasting. It's just not how it works. We've grown slowly and consistently in our entire history. What, what, what comes and goes is the attention, the focus. So every few years, you'll see media gather around podcast and talk about it and say how big it is and how it's the golden era and the gold rush, all these things, right? And then it goes away for a few years and it comes back because one of those moments hits again. But those help us grow. And over time, you know, we're now at, you know, a lot of people <laughs> listening to podcasts and a lot of people now make their own living off podcasts because the audience is there. If you know, if you have a good show that that really speaks to someone or enough people. And, you know, that's the thing too. It, it doesn't have to be uh, a million people, you know, it could be a thousand people. Your listenership can be small. Um, it's more about, you know, how much are you actually reaching your listeners, right? Are people, do you need, do you need a million people to listen because you have a CPM ad that pays you $10 per thousand listeners? You know, those, those shows are going to need a lot of people. But, you know, if you have a thousand listeners and you talk about, uh, maybe you have a, a car podcast. I have uh, friends locally who have a, a podcast about cars and maybe they have a deal where if, you know, someone buys a car, they get a, they get a piece of that, you know, a much bigger affiliate deal. They need a lot less people to reach to make the same amount of money that someone might need if they're using traditional type advertising. Sure. No, that makes sense. And it's it's good to hear that the different kind of angles that people can you know, make a living or, or make some sort of hustle off um, off their content. Taking it right back, Ray. Just when you were growing up, what was what was your passion? Was it was it always in the kind of areas of audio and and video and and you like to play with that sort of stuff? Um, as a teenager, I, somewhere I, you know, the like middle of the night shopping channel. I remember I really wanted a video camera and got one. And then I got really into video editing. I used to be, um, I used to joke that I wanted to win the, uh, the, the Academy Award for, uh, for, for editing video. And I always thought it was funny because those, those, the people who would win that award would get like a picture or like in between the commercials. (laughs) And that was it. And I thought, you know, that'd be perfect. That's about the amount of fame that I, I would want. Like just a picture that's shown, not people who are actually at the show or actually going up to the stage, but that was teenager. I would say, my entire life, I've been a creative. Um, it really comes down to being a creative, an artist. And so that medium has always changed, whether it was my first love was drawing, I got into some painting, then I got into some recording and video editing, right? Anything um, that's an art, I a year ago started playing bass. It's a new creative medium for me. So really what I guess turns me on is creativity and I've taken several avenues to explore that. On the flip side of creativity, there's the kind of balancing act of having maybe structure and being able to execute on. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> how have you developed that or how have you got better at that? I I don't know that I have per se. I take a very um, casual approach to the whole thing uh, because I am not trying to actually make a living from my content itself. It does make money, but most people think I make my money from my podcast and even YouTube or the content. And most people know me because I make content and they also think I make money that way, which is I do, but not a living. Uh, and, and partly is because I do say that I'm a professional podcast producer 
but I work for an organization and I do the production for uh, their podcast network. So I do a lot of behind the scenes, uh, a, a typical job. I mean, it's not typical. I work in podcasting, but um, that pays the bills. So it does allow me to take a very casual approach to my own content. And yeah, outside of, you know, putting this interview on my calendar, I'm not very much more organized than that. I'm interested in in people's work styles and how they be productive then. So taking that on board, how do you like to chunk up your work? Is it in short bursts? Do you kind of like to dedicate, you know, six hours to to create a piece of content? I talk about podcasting being my full-time job and my part-time hobby. Mm. Um, I think that's what I say. But it's really, you know, in yourself, you've recently had a child, congrats. And I had a daughter um, eight years ago. And that changed things dramatically. Um, because before that, all my free time after work, you know, whatever work that was, I've done several different things before I was even in podcasting. And actually, when I started podcasting, I was working in a regular like a retail type job. And all my spare time went to that because I was also just like had this creative fire just was like going crazy. And and I was trying to do more with it. I mean, when anytime you start something, there's a lot there, right? But I've been doing it for like 15 years. And so, you know, especially after my daughter came along, you know, you have less of those, um, of those, of those free hours. Mm. So, you know, I just fill maybe a couple hours a day with doing some type of content. My only sort of um, way of pushing myself. The only thing I really push is to have something. I should always be editing. Basically, I should always have something to edit. <laughs> now, I do Podcasters Roundtable. It's a uh, fortnightly show. You know, every every two weeks, and I do that show with a couple co-hosts. Um, that maybe, if your listeners know podcasting about podcasting, Daniel J. Lewis and Dave Jackson, big names in the in in sort of my niche circle, and. So I have other people who rely on me. So I try to make that pretty regular, but even that is not always every two weeks. Um, again, I'm trying to keep it casual, not force it. I think that is a mistake that a lot of new creatives make. A lot of new content creators really force it in content creation in when they're just not, they, they just don't have it. They need a day off, uh, but everyone's afraid to take a day off, but really nothing's going to happen. What's going to happen if you don't take time off and take time for yourself you know, go with that feeling that you have is that you're going to quit. And that's much worse than not creating a con content for a week or something. So for me, if there's something always available to edit, whether that's an audio podcast or a video, I'm happy. And then I work on that a couple of times, uh, you know, a couple hours, uh, maybe a day and, you know, whatever it adds up to the week. But, um, and that, that, that result of that is me pushing out content in what looks like to the audience, a pretty regular basis. I mean, there's a lot. We're drowning in um, stuff to see between Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, podcasts, YouTube. You know, people, they're not missing you too much. But if you start a podcast um, and, you know, you will build an audience. And so it is good, I think, to be, I think, a minimum of every two weeks. You know, if I had a podcast, I do have one show that is kind of on a hiatus, uh, the Podcaster Studio. But if I was being really focused about that show, like I was back when I started in 2009, I would have something at least every two weeks. I feel like anything less than that is sort of not really a regular show. And so, you know, you will have that audience who podcast is a little different in that people really kind of carve out time for a specific podcast. More so than I would say 
a YouTube channel where stuff just sort of shows up. And a lot of times it's your views aren't based on subscribers. It's based on search. So podcast is very specific. That that makes sense. And, and as you were talking through it there, you're probably hitting on some of the self-imposed rules, I suppose I have on, yeah. on releasing and, and try to be a bit more flexible about you, you read a lot about being consistent when you release so that mm-hmm. you can build your audience and people, you know, on a Monday morning or a Friday morning, know your episode is going to come down and you're, and they, they can look forward to that and you kind of create that emotional connection with with the audience but how you give yourself that a bit of freedom and and not give yourself the hard time if you're not that militant about it is um is important to to kind of take away i think for sure i mean it's like people who brag about getting two to three hours sleep a night right there you're not actually you're not actually winning like that's not actually a good thing you're actually hurting yourself you're worse off in the long run so People, and it used to be more common in the beginning of podcasting, people would just brag they hadn't missed a show in three or five years or something. And it's like, you know, life happens. And there are ways to avoid that. I mean, you can get ahead of a schedule, you know, batch record stuff, um, but don't force it just because you've put this, like you said, this self-imposed sort of restriction on yourself that I have to post every week. Your audience does not benefit from you being unhappy or sick or tired um obviously yes you should try to be consistent but i it's more of that thing of just don't worry if you can't make it that week once in a while um yeah I, and I, maybe i suffered from that back in like seventh grade i think it started in seventh grade all the way through high school i was not tardy i was not late for a single class and it, it be, at some point it became a streak and then from and something about my personality back then was like, I can't break my streak. <laughs> uh, and that's people get into that in podcasting. They're like, man, I have not. I've gone every week for three years. I can't not do it. It's like, you know what? Set yourself free and, and take a week off. But um, if you want it to grow maximum, and that just that doesn't mean massive growth. I mean, obviously, if you're there every week with content, and you and that is going to be the best way to grow because you're putting out more content. But um, if you actually want to stay podcasting, which is the single hardest thing in podcasting, the hardest thing about podcasting is to keep podcasting. Then give yourself a break once in a while. Mm. Two questions. One, you just mentioned having a daughter and how that maybe puts more restraint or constraints on your time. Have you noticed that when you have that free time then that you're more productive and you're more laser focused on on that one or two hours than you were beforehand? I definitely find that I still get as much done in shorter time frames now because I just know I don't have as much to play with. Yeah, I think um, I know I'm usually just more tired. <laughs> and so cuz raising kids is tough as you're finding out, but um yeah, no, I just I feel like I mean, I get what you're saying completely. Um, once I open a project, I'm pretty good at, at just barreling ahead and getting stuff done. But when, you know, I find myself these days, I cannot edit video for a long period of time. I just, I think I just get bored or I hit something. Um, and part of it, uh, I'm a victim of my own disorganization. And recently I'm looking into uh, NAS systems or NAS uh, network attached storage because I have clips b-roll that i want to use that are spread across all these different hard drives and if i hit a barrier like that i will find i'm just done for the night because it's like i got to get it i got to find the hard drive get it out 
transfer the file. And it's like, and it really interrupts. So, so yes, if I'm, if I'm put myself in a position to be efficient, then I'm good at it. Um, but hitting roadblocks like that, uh, which is again, a product of my own disorganization does create, you know, it'll push back content. Um, I am not putting out the number of videos these days that I wish I was. Uh, but I also realized, you know, I, again, it comes down to, it's sort of a life work life balance. And I'm talking as someone who's 15 years down the road of doing this, that, you know, I'm not going to, it's not going to make the difference. Like getting one more video out this month is not going to make the difference because I'm again, not trying to make money, the kind of money I need to support my family. Uh, so it has to been come back down to being about yourself and why you're producing content for me again. I just want to share. So if I learn something, I'm happy if I get that out at some point. But again, I always have something on a hard drive to edit, and that's good enough. You just said the word, two words, good enough, and that, that's my next question. Uh, when is it good enough to release somebody or something uh, versus yep. are you a perfectionist, and how has that changed over time? Recovering perfectionist. So when I got the job that I currently have, uh, my director, my boss, uh, I think maybe within the first few weeks, and I think she was talking to someone else, but she said, don't let good enough or don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. And it was huge for me uh, because I always was, I, I again, I said I kind of built my brand, I think, on quality um, and whether that's quality, it usually means quality of production. And people who produce a podcast, for example, can get really buried uh, under like the edit, right? So maybe it took them a half an hour to record the episode. It was super simple because they knew it from the top of their head, especially in the beginning of a podcast. You don't need to do a lot of research or don't need to do a lot of uh, notes. You generally can talk for like 20 episodes because you're usually so passionate about a topic. And uh, I would not suggest that. I would suggest being organized, but but it becomes harder over time. But the edit can really stop a person. And so, you know, do, you know, is it, it is really tough because I always say that we are, when you do a podcast, typically you, you're kind of, you're the, you're the producer, the writer, the host, the editor, the marketing department, you're all of it. And we are the single worst people to be working on our content (laughs) because, because artists, creatives, people who make content usually are their worst, their own worst critics, right? And so that makes it really hard to sit there and decide this is good enough to let go. Um, I think you get a feel for it over time, listen to other stuff in your niche and, you know, don't remove every um, don't remove every ah. Um, just list, just tighten it up, make it a little better than it, than it was when it went into the microphone, whether that's doing some processing for effects to, to make it consistent levels, right? So people aren't turning the volume up and down, or maybe that's taking out giant gaps where you uh, forgot something and need to look it up. Um, if you have a lot of these things in there, um, you can remove some that are more obvious, but we talk. It's natural to say um and ah in conversation. So don't get them all out. So it really is just finding a compromise between between going too far and you know you need to spend more time making the content the actual like actual production of the content than than sort of polishing it right get it out get on to the next one yeah. but it is hard it's hard to say it's hard to say 
Absolutely. And of the overall process, is there any one part of it that you're non-negotiable on that you really index on most before putting something out? What's the kind of piece that you're saying, this is my very much laser focus that has to be as good as it can be? I would say, I mean, because you're going to, if you get the production, the quality right at the source, like at the time of recording, it saves you so much time on the backside of trying to fix things or make it better, right? So like, if you have an issue, if you just take care of everything before you hit record, you are going to be miles ahead uh, of, of someone else who didn't take the time to set their levels or close a door or move because the traffic on one side of their house is too too loud, right? Don't, the whole joke about fixing it in post-production, um, don't do that. Like, do your best. If if you can't record, I mean, like you said, I mean, we're recording 5.30 in the morning for you, and it's it's 9.30 at night for me, much tougher for you. Um, you're doing what you have to. Um, your your kid is asleep, right? So, like, if you try to record and the kid's in the room, I mean, if that's part of your podcast, because it's a family podcast, it's part of the ambience, fine. Um, you know, if you want to go in a restaurant. And so, for me, it is, it's just getting it right at the source. Um, taking the time on the front end to save you a whole bunch of headache and time on the back end will make you so much more efficient and get you back to producing the next piece of content. Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons why I bought the Roadcaster Pro. I can mm-hmm. justified. Uh, it's huge. I did, I did a, a a a podcasting kind of workshop uh, a few months back, and the the funds that I made out of that, I said, right, I'm just investing it in this because, as you said, just getting a few of those things right and in line in real time um, saves you so many hours in the back end that it just the return on investment is pretty quick. You know, I also have, as I mentioned, the Roadcaster Pro here, and. It has changed things even on that front end setup. I mean, for the different types of content I would produce in the past, I had wires and different, um, you know, different pieces of gear for every different way I was recording just because the, the format needed it. Now, with this one device, it's not cheap, uh, but I, I just don't do any of that anymore. I don't spend, you know, 20 minutes to a half an hour setting up stuff this box does all the things that I want to do, which is, I would say, kind of saying a lot because I do a lot of different things. And so, you know, not to be just a roadcaster shill, there's also the Zoom L8, which I think might even be better in some ways, which I'm going to have to look at now that I said that. I'm going to have to maybe do a review. But um, yes, 100%. Like this has helped. This is just one example of, of a way, you know, investing. A lot of people, when they start podcasting, it is a hobby. And they don't really want to invest. But if you understand just a little bit of putting uh, a little more into the front end, like getting a decent preamp or a decent microphone, um, you're going to, it will pay off even in terms of, you know, it might not be money, but time saved. Time is money in my world. And I mean, to me, (laughs) time is gold. And so, and you know, because Time could be spent with family. It actually could be spent making more content, which does make me money. So 
Yeah, time is money for sure. I agree. And and one thing in, in the kind of workshop I do is is beware of false economies because everybody's coming in saying, how do I start a podcast for as little as possible mm-hmm. financially? You can do it practically for, for, for zero dollars or zero euro, but certain things that I kind of scrimped on at the start, um, and I'm looking around even at just a mic stand that I had one of those kind of bendy ones that right. was a nightmare. And then about a year ago I bought a couple of proper mic stands which just save time and setup and so it's it's an advice of beware of false economies is there anything you can think of where you uh, you you uh, scrimped on at the start just because you wanted to get started but you wish you had invested in a little bit more on that um would have been more uh, a better return on it in your time yeah sure i mean even when I started an audio podcast, like I mentioned, I did a video podcast before I did audio only, which they are different worlds. They take, they require different types of gear. And I, I started with the classic blue snowball. It's a USB microphone and it was, it was fine. But had I spent a little more time and I did because it was part of the show was me learning. But, um, had I spent a little more time, maybe either looking into a better mic and a proper interface, uh, my audio would have been much better from, from the get go. Um, and sometimes it's just the way we learn. For me, it's part of my content because it's about me going through these different these different tests and learning along the way to, to hopefully save people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had all this stuff, you know, cheap lights or cheap cheap mic stands like you. But you end up buying more cheap stuff that adds up to the to the expensive thing. And yes, hundred percent. I mean, the mic that you're using, uh, you were on video before we went to audio mm-hmm. only. Yeah. Um that that's the way, man. That, I mean if you might have to make compromises in the production style that you do, right? Cuz I find a lot of people who start a new podcast want to do everything. They want to have you know, themselves, two remote people and a caller and they want to live stream it, maybe put out the video and it's like, you know what? Let's go baby steps. Do one thing, one very simple thing really well learn it and then move on to the the next step. Um don't try to do it don't try to do audio and video at at the same time. You have you have time and room to grow into that if you find you have the extra time. But yeah, for sure, a little investment but it does absolutely does not have to be uh bank breaking. I mean, that mic that you're using is mm. still cheaper than the the not so great mic I was using when I started. So, tech has gotten, you know, the way tech does, it gets better and cheaper as you go yeah and i actually bought this mic probably my second mic and then when i set up my studio my first version of my studio i think i'm on studio 3.0 at the moment but i bought a couple of condenser x uh, what are they m m m xl 9900 and i used them for a long time but just because they're condensers and the environment here isn't probably as good it was picking up a dog barking halfway down the street and it was just a nightmare. And I've just switched back to using this for, for nearly everything now because it's just so much easier and the sound is just, I find it just as good, you know, to the untrained ear, I suppose. Yeah. No, it's, it's a fantastic, we are talking about the ATR 2100, yeah. I think. And so in case we didn't mention it, but I'm using a Shure um, SM7B. It's a $400 microphone, but to people listening to us, no one's going to know that. I mean, that microphone actually produces fantastic results. And so, you know, it is the law of diminishing returns when you get past the, the microphone you're using, which can be anywhere around $50, $70 um, here in the U.S. You know, 
people think, oh, if I get the 150, the 200, the 400 dollar microphone, it's going to dramatically change things, and it's not. Um, sometimes it's just about you know I had a desire to to try this microphone because it was sort of an industry standard for the last 40 years. Um, and it has some benefits built into it. It does sort of has all the things you'd want, like a pop filter and shock mounting all built into the microphone. But again, people are not going to, you know, 99% of your audience, probably a hundred, they're not going to know the difference if you don't tell them as long as you get sort of the, you know, what I, the ATR 2100 is kind of the, the, the entry level, that's where I would say start, right? And it's not even true. I think my buddy Bandrew on YouTube just did a review. I think Behringer has a $25 uh, Shure SM58 knockoff that I think is probably pretty good. So again, tech gets better, but um, as long as it produces good results, it's that's that's all you need from the gear. Yeah, very, very good. I might wrap up with... Um three more ones just uh conscious of time and the world is beginning here and your your evening yeah. is nearly coming to a close um one question i had and then i'll, I'll answer, ask a couple that came in on twitter there just around discoverability and marketing your your podcast and i know you, you do one for your organization and do your own how has how has that changed and what's the kind of the, the kind of best tips you can give for people listening that wanted to try and explore their reach and get more listeners marketing my podcast is something i could definitely do more of it's not something i do well enough and a lot of times people will make a mistake of creating their content maybe they'll tweet it out or share it on facebook or instagram and then it then they kind of go on to the next piece of content right and so uh lipson which is the podcast host i use and um that a lot of people use you might use it i'm what a do you speaker want? Spreaker, okay, Spreaker's good too. And so um, I got this tip, Elsie, she's at Libsyn. She does the sort of social media as well as hosting a podcast for them. And, um, you know, she basically, with a podcast, you have a title, but you usually talk about a lot more inside the inside the contents of a 30-minute or 60-minute podcast than you can reveal in a title. And Twitter, social media is a fast-moving river, so people see it. If it does not hit their interest, they move on. Um, but, you know, if you you can create, basically you can share the same piece of content multiple times and have it be unique every time. So if every week you surfaced a new topic that you talked about in your episode 37, because you guys talked about three different things, one of those is going to probably land with your audience and then they'll discover episode 37. Whereas before... They just pass it up. So this is one thing I don't do enough. I don't resurface old content and make it relevant to even the same people who already saw it. Um, you know, and so that's one thing you can do. Um, you know, instead of just pushing out the same tweet every few days, um, don't do that. Make it make it can be the same call to action, the same content you're pointing to. Just make it make it new, sort of new content, make it new context, reveal what's inside that content, especially with podcasts. Um, if you want to put some money into it, I recently did a, at work, there is still, uh, Overcast is a podcast app and there's still a lot of opportunity there. I saw, I saw the single best results I've ever seen in converting. Um, like if you said, I want more listeners for this show, um, that's hard to do. There's a lot of ways you can sort of 
pay money, right? You can boost posts in Facebook, stuff that doesn't really give you real results that that I've seen. But an ad in Overcast, so I think we spent, so it depends on your category. The science category that we're in was about $350. It runs for a month and it works. Basically, they show you an ad inside the Overcast app and it only goes to people who are listening to content in your in the same niche that you're in, right? So I say science, and that's where we're at. And it runs for a month, and we got, Overcast said that, that we might get 85 to 100, I think we got 130 subscribers in one month's time. That That's insane for a super niche podcast. And, and it worked out to be like $3 per Listeners. So that opportunity still exists. I think that that price is going to go way through the roof when people understand <laughs> that that exists. So it's good to get into it now at 2019, 2020. We're on the, the, the precipice here of 2020. Um, super value. It then that assumes that you have a budget, right? So the place I work for has a budget. I may not go out and do that for my own podcast. Um, because spending $350 is much harder to do. But again, I've never seen any kind of um, return like that. And so I'm hoping that, I know uh, Marco who does Overcast is very, um, he's great and he's done a great job with that app. I'm hoping that, you know, Spotify and Pandora, I'm hoping they all take a cue from this, uh, maybe even Apple, um, because it really does work because it makes sense. People are already in a podcast app. They're seeing it in a in a niche they're interested in. They All they do is is press, you know, is, is press the little banner while they're listening to another podcast and hit subscribe. And I've looked into the numbers and we're retaining. The big deal is that we're actually retaining. So it's not like a typical banner ad that you get a lot of clicks, nothing really happens, no one buys anything. We're seeing, I saw the, the uh, overcast numbers go up over the last few months by almost the amount of people who have subscribed. So we, we probably retained, you know, 80, 70, 80% of those listeners are still listening to new episodes. That's very interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely look into into that one. Um, good, good call out there. What are the biggest mistakes, misuses of time that podca- new podcasters make? And this came in from Connor on Twitter. Uh, that's one of his questions. Uh, you know, again, going probably going back to the editing, trying to do too much, trying to make it too perfect. Um, you know, if you know some basic pr- principles of compression and EQ, and there's even you know there's a site like. Uh, if you don't want to learn all the post-production stuff, because it's, you know, it's only fun if you are interested in it. Most people who produce a show are not interested in that part of it. Um, Auphonic.com, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com will sort of do this for you. Um, and it'll level out your 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 levels so that people, you know, to get you and I together would sound equal, right? So people are like, oh, I can hear Rob fine, but I can't hear Ray very well. Super drag and drop, right? Get you out of the edit and on to the next piece of content. People probably don't do enough planning and organizing, right? Writing out an outline for your show is going to do a lot of things for you. Or, well, okay, it, it's going to, it should keep you focused, right? So don't burn too much content in one episode. You might have five things you want to talk about on that episode, but, you know, especially look at your retention stats, which you can get inside of apps like Stitcher and even Apple now shows you retention stats. And what I'm saying is don't, you know, by the time you've reached topic four and five, you might have lost 60% of your audience um, and they'll never hear it. So, you know, and you're actually taking what could be three episodes and making one. 
Um, and I'm not talking about time and ideal lengths of podcasts. I'm just talking about being focused. It, it definitely helps in your efforts to market things. It helps in your efforts to um, even produce things. Um, you know, if you can make three episodes instead of one, it makes it a lot easier to be ahead of the content and miss a week if you get sick. So putting more time into planning and also making an outline so will also keep you focused in that recording, right? It's okay to to go off topic a little bit, but it'll keep you focused. It'll bring you back on topic if you go off topic. And that outline is going to help you big time when you get to the show notes section, which is the bane of my existence. It's probably the miserable part that most podcasters hate. Um, ideally, you're going to write some show notes, which is a blog post, almost essentially a blog post for your stuff. So it helps with search engine optimization. It just helps the listener, um, you know, get more context and and find you. So um, show, you know, doing an outline, putting some content, you know, into that before you start is going to help you when you get to that stage. Because I found myself making the mistake of, man, I just record, I just hit record and talk for an hour about a topic that I have. And then I've got to edit that whole thing. And then I'm writing show notes as I edit. And that is yeah. a super inefficient way to do it. It's uh, trying to write show notes. And I, like I know my own approach to show notes has become a lot more loose. I think uh, I probably preface nearly every show note by saying, please excuse typos here because I probably too lazy to go back and, and clean it up a little bit because it's it's kind of going back to that trade-off of time spent versus the value gained from it. Uh, I feel there's probably less and less, uh, you know, spending lots of time writing perfect show notes. And I've played around with some of those transcription AI tools. Um, and I find even when they produce something, you can have to go through it afterwards and clean it up, which takes yeah. a bit of time as well. So you might be surprised that you might have an audience member who's willing to proofread, right? It's a surprising. Oh, we have a show at work that is an hour plus, uh, very technical, uh, drill down science, hardcore science. And uh, they actually do transcripts for free because they just they volunteered to do it. I think the host now pays them, but they were doing it for a long time. You you might be surprised at, at what people are willing to help because they your audience enjoys the content. They want to see you succeed. Now I'm not saying just go ask for free help, but you know, may a friend, a spouse. I mean, in the beginning, I was having my wife do voiceovers for my video podcast. You know, it just whoever was willing to help, I would get. And this also might be a case because I actually I think it's kind of important to. Um, you know, have good, you know, to, to put out the best product possible, I guess. And so, you know, this might be a case where you find it useful to spend $10, um, you know, on like a, I won't name a site, but yeah, there are several right. sites where you can find yeah. remote help to just either construct show notes or to proofread what you put up there, right? So there's more value in investing here, I think, if you can do it. But again, you know, hit up friends, hit up your audience, um, there are ways to do things that don't have to, uh, break the bank, even when it's just a hobby, um, to help you even be more efficient or do some of that stuff that you just absolutely can't stand. And to be honest with you, I don't even do show notes for podcasters roundtable. Um, you know, to me, it's just, I don't put a priority on search engine optimization and being found and all that stuff. That show really is for the love of talking with my friends about podcasting. So, you know, it's all about what you're trying to get out of it. 
No, very, very good advice at the end. Just the last one, and this is more of a question I'm not struggling with myself, but it's always been something that's kind of found a bit strange. When I put my episode together, I have it in Spreaker. It's releasing Friday morning at 5 a.m. It's not till it releases until it goes on to iTunes and Spotify can I get my URL or, or, or link to both those that I can share afterwards um, or send to the guests so that they can self they can promote it. There's no way around getting those links to the the Spotify's and the iTunes or the Apple Podcast app to directly to that episode before it it gets up there. Is there? Well, a few things I would say. Like, soon as you publish something, if you are subscribed to the show, it becomes immediate, right? Like yep. it it's there. So yep. you know there is a delay. But that's just for people who are would be searching the catalog or something. And like, yeah. but the biggest thing that I'm that I would say to you in that case is this is the whole thing about um, controlling uh, your own podcast, right? Con- controlling your content, putting it in a place where you have complete control. The only links you should be giving people are links to your own website, On right? Website, yeah. So when yeah. you publish, it's there, and everything else about your podcast is there. So I don't want to give people a iTunes or Apple podcast link or a Spotify link to promote. I mean, unless there's a very specific reason, maybe I'm talking to, you know, an exclusive Spotify artist and their whole audience is there and that, that it'll work in that case, right? Know, know your audience, know what you're trying to accomplish. But for the most part, you know, your, all your episodes should live on your site. You should try to get people to your site because, you know, you could violate some weird terms of service on on Apple Podcast and you could be gone tomorrow or just a glitch could make you be gone. But if you want to have that control over publishing now and giving links, you can customize those links, right? I mean, even on WordPress, you can use pretty links so it could be, you know, like the podcaststudio.com slash 101. Very easy to remember, very easy to share on socials, not this weird bit.ly link or this weird apple.io or whatever, right? So yeah, wrestle back. That control, like you're not able to do things because you're relying on a third party and just rely on your own stuff, like that you have complete say over. And that's where you want people to go anyways. I mean, send them there. They can use whatever, you know, have your subscribe links for all the the different apps that they might be using. Let them choose how to subscribe. Yeah. Um, Let them see your Twitter handle, right? Like bring it all home. That's pretty much what it is. Bring it all home. Yeah. No, that's good. I think it's purely out of habit more than anything that every time I release an episode I would put my website link for the episode and Spotify and Apple Podcasts just because yep. it's probably the the three that would be the most used um, but uh, but yeah definitely and, and obviously going on to the episode page on the website is there is links to to all the apps from there as well but just just something of interest uh, a selfish question to uh, sure, <laughs> to end yeah, up with there um Ray, that's been really interesting I, I definitely left a lot of other questions on the on the table um maybe uh, in the future we can we can do another one but i i, I was really looking forward to chatting to you and it definitely uh was a, a really interesting uh, insight and thanks for sharing so much and uh, hopefully your ipa beer helped you get through that as well <laughs> it's a good way to to wind down the evening i didn't finish it because uh, the conversations has been that great so thanks for having me to anyone who's still listening this far to me ramble i super appreciate it good to meet you and uh, yeah thanks again i'm flattered that anyone wants to uh 
to talk to me on a, on their own podcast. So I'm I'm very excited to participate. And uh, thanks for getting up at the crack of dawn so that I don't have to. <laughs> There's no dawn here yet. Believe me, it's still pitch dark. <laughs> it's out. that Just, bad. Oh. <laughs> it's Ireland. It's Ireland in the winter. Like uh, oh. we're lucky to see the sun at any time um, oh for the next few weeks. But just to f- to wrap up, just how folks can get in touch with you. I'll obviously have links on the the show notes that I'll I'll do perfectly this time. But uh, you want to call out how to get in touch? Yeah, Ray at, well, I'm sorry, I was going to give my email because <laughs> I'm so used to work at giving emails. Uh, RayOrtega.com is where you basically would find all my stuff, right? You can jump off from there to any property I have. I'm podcast helper on most platforms, right? So Instagram, Twitter, those are my two favorites. So if you really want to get in touch with me, the, the direct messages are always open, but send a public tweet, whatever, say hi. I answer questions, right? Robbie said a lot more questions anytime, man. If anytime you want to do it, Tweet me, whatever it is. I love answering questions. Uh, that's how I got the podcast helper to handle, I guess. Also because you can't get my name everywhere because it's pretty pretty generic. But uh, yeah, podcast helper, most places, and uh for all the other content that I make. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Ray. I do really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Thanks, Rob. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end, and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning, and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal, you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way. And hopefully they're good things. In this particular episode, was there any one or two things that jumped out? Maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do. Do it now. Take it out. Write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode. Put a plan in place and then work towards it. Applying yourself deliberately over time. Take ownership. Build a habit. Improve. Get 1% better. Share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles Uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better at page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at robofthegreen.ie instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at robofthegreen.ie is the website or at robofthegreen on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack 
This is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas. You can sign up to that on the website as well. All of this is obviously all free, but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my Patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do. It's there. It's totally up to you. Everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better. So to close, I am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place. Thanks for sticking to the very end. Talk to you next time and take care. Good luck.